Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 39, Woke, Too Woke, or Broke. Yeah, we are broadcasting live. Well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide Shedquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my co-host, Jesse Fury. What's up, Reed? I'm doing well. Jesse is not uh, not doing bad for himself today. He has a brand new, I think it's brand new, Bonhoeffer House trucker's hat. Is that what you would call that? I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> I never think about it when I'm getting dressed. That's right. On these that's days, right, that's but right. Yeah, I got a trucker hat on. Yep. Yeah. It is a, with a patch. With a patch and a new logo. It's sharp. Yeah, I it's like sharp. your brand. Yeah. I like your new brand, man. Yeah. It's really well done. Yeah. The but trucker hat. Works. I need to get a merch page on the website. You do. Sell it to your 16 friends and family <laughs> members that would buy that hat. I'll buy it. <laughs> I, it's, it, it I got. <laughs> Dozens, literally yeah. dozens of friends and dozens family. of hats would be fly. I'm just kidding, man. The, those hats would fly. You off didn't the even shelves. mention that I'm wearing a denim jacket with jeans. You are not. You are wearing matchem denim jacket and matchem denim jeans. And, and this with, is I with, got I got a Canadian tuxedo on here as a shout out to Craig in Canmore. What's up, Craig? And you got your pants leg. I'm repping you a little bit there at the bottom, looking nice. I got to be honest with you, Reed. I haven't told you this until now, but. These pants are a bit skinny, <laughs> and uh, my top button is unbuttoned. Oh gosh, <laughs> skinny jeans let loose. Today. I can I can button it. I just want to be clear. I can button it. Yeah, but you're just choosing not to. I'm just choosing not to. It's a lot more comfortable. Well, I'm feeling uncomfortable now, so <laughs> that you're telling me about your pants button. Uh, but it's good to be back, man. It's good to be back together. It's been a minute. Holidays, yeah. Um, I haven't been in the shed quarters in a while. Yeah, it was good, man. The podcast, we're starting out 2019 with this episode that we've been talking about for, what, eight months? It's been a long time. <laughs> eight months. I think we've been too uh, too maybe afraid. Yeah, uh, to, too, too un- unlearned. Too unlearned to go in on this, but there's a few things that we have been uh, marinating on. Shout out to my boy Darren Gray. That's his word, marination. Uh, marinating on, thinking about, wrestling with ourselves and be quite honest, we were waiting for a book to come out from a friend uh, that came out this fall called Woke Church by Eric Mason, which we will kind of use a little bit as a guide to part of our uh, discussion today. Um, how you been, though, man? It's like if you made it through the holidays without getting sick or anything. Or yeah, you, man, I didn't okay? get sick once. I got sick a little bit, but then I recovered, you know. You so bounced back. I did. Yeah. I did. did you, had a, you had a sickness and then you bounced back. I have been good. That's awesome. I've been good. We had a good holiday, uh, and man, it's just you know getting back into the swing of things is 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 a challenge. But uh, but our family's good. How about you? We're, we've been doing well. We've been doing well. I just got back from a trip. I actually was in uh, the Fort Worth area. Shout out to the Fort Worth people. A uh, little bit of a training for a church called City View Church, friends of ours, and then also a uh, cross denominational cross network uh, thing called Plant Fort Worth, Ooh. which is kind of a citywide cohort of brothers planting churches and so i kind of did a little thing for them uh when was it monday and got in last night you're using words that i like (laughs) there you go yeah cross-denominational yeah 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 church planting folks working together for the sake of sticking new gospel works in the ground much like your crew and cohort with the uh bon hoover house bon hoover house hoover well, uh, obviously, if you've been uh, awake, might I say, for the last uh, several years, there's been quite a discussion, uh, least within uh, America, related to the gospel, race, the local church, churches, movements, evangelicalism, uh, but also broadly in American society, you know, where uh, a president you know, has kind of provoked all sorts of discussions from the left and the right. Everybody's been pulling out their hair, wondering what's happening. And I don't uh, estimate that this chaos is going to uh, cease right. anytime soon going forward. Uh, but many times uh, the discussions in circles that, you know, we kind of hang in, uh, how does the church look at issues of racial inequality, racial injustice, um, you know, straight up history that's in America. And then, even more so, how does history affect the present and the future? How do we make change and how do we go forward together? And so that's kind of where we're headed today to talk about these topics. I've uh, simply given us a three-part outline of woke, 
so we'll talk a little bit about what that means. We're going to follow uh, Dr. E a little bit there to woke, which is a particular uh, observation we are going to share a little bit for white folk. We, we had an earlier podcast, maybe a year and a half ago, called Words for White Christians. Certainly go back and see that. It's a little kind of thing that I shared uh, with for white people trying to engage these issues. And then finally, the third part here, woke to woke or broke, broke, broke. broke. Brokeity broke, and by that we're just going to say there is a position on this that uh, that we feel is biblically bankrupt um, and ought not to be a path traveled, um, but then give hope to conclude. So that's kind of the direction we're headed. Jesse and I have been hanging out with Eric Mason's book, Woke Church, An Urgent Call for Christians in America to Confront Racism and Injustice. And so we're going to start out a little bit by talking about what wokeness is, because it is a term that's used by lots of people, uh, some that would share a biblical worldview and then some that would absolutely uh, have views that I would say are abhorrent maybe to a biblical worldview. But uh, Dr. Eric Mason uh, is a friend of mine and certainly a wonderful Bible teacher, pastor, scholar, uh, and he has several uh, you know, uh, expositions on how he's defining the word woke. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this, Jesse, to get us kicked off. Um, he says, Pan-Africanists, uh, that means the, all those from the African di- diaspora, and black nationalists use the term woke to refer to no longer being naive or in mental slavery. Uh, he says, we have borrowed the term and redeemed it, so you're going to use it in a different way, to be used in the context of being awakened from deadened, sinful thinking. In fact, every believer has been awakened from sin's effects and Satan's deception, Ephesians 5.14. Thus, the believer is able to be aware of sin and challenge it wherever it is. Woke is a word commonly used by those in the black community as a term for being socially aware of issues that have a systemic impact. This social awareness doesn't come from just watching the news or reading history through a traditional lens. Being woke has to do with seeing all the issues and being able to connect cultural, socioeconomic, philosophical, historical, and ethical dots. A similar term is conscious. So kind of awake to the way things are, I'd say. And Dr. Mason does a really good job describing, kind of say, as an American black man or uh, of this idea of uh, the American African-American experience has a two-ness of soul, uh, that two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body. One, I'm an American, and second, I'm a Negro. And that perspective was really interesting to me, Jesse, because you know many times white people aren't thinking, I'm an American and I'm white. Right. Not not a two-ness, but more I'm an American. And I would say some would assume that they assume whiteness involved with that. But the thing about Mace that was important in his uh, introduction is that he doesn't leave it at two-ness, uh, but uh, takes it into threeness. I don't know if you have that quote, Jesse, if you could. Oh, I think it's on page yeah, 27. 27, 27. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he talks about how the, the third consciousness is what being truly woke is rooted in. I'm quoting here, being truly woke is rooted in Christ consciousness. This is the anchor. This is the common ground. At our core, without being conscious in Christ, our souls are still in bondage and can only see things from the natural fleshly appearance. Uh, Our Christ consciousness gives the double consciousness depth and character. Our Christ consciousness elevates our awareness to our responsibility to care for and love our brothers, even those who don't look like us. Amen. Amen. So just in case you're concerned us talking about a term that kind of maybe is used in a certain context, uh, we're following our brother here uh, with seeing the ultimate uh, awokeness, awakeness, uh, is coming from a regenerated spirit and a new heart that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Dr. Mason's book is kind of outlined in four ways, and I, I think it's helpful uh, for us to talk about is like four points of being kind of woke is being, a, being aware, number one, uh, acknowledging certain things uh, from our past, being accountable, uh, and then fourth, being active. And I think this is something of a, a recommendation, uh, a prophetic voice calling people uh, to a certain pathway of gospel-oriented, church-focused justice as believers together uh, white, black, Asian, whatever it may be, Latin diaspora, whatever it might be, uh, so that we might create a different future 
um, together. Now, awareness, right? We love the word awareness in uh, modern Western civilization. Many times you'll, you'll see, what are you doing out there in the world? We're trying to create awareness. And I used to always kind of like say, well, great, we're all aware of something, but nothing really changed. So uh, awareness is just a first step of things. And sometimes if that's the only thing we're doing, we're not doing much at all. Uh, but his, his idea of awareness is the gospel itself. When it comes into contact with human beings, human beings reconciled to God, but then to live a certain way, uh, a certain life that seeks uh, justice and mercy. Then he kind of follows Jesus' teaching to the Pharisees who said, hey, you're neglecting the weightier issues of the law. I believe this is Matthew 23. And they were focusing on how much of their spices they should tithe or give. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important weighty matters of the law. That's right. Matthew 23. Justice, mercy, uh, these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And and just... just, um, Dr. Mason is very clear that we have to be changed by the gospel in order for justice to be done. He's not talking about a random justice. In fact, he says this on page 50. In other words, justice doesn't come by legislation. Because you can legislate things, nothing really changes. We can go to the executive branch, the legislative branch, and go to the judicial branch. We can put whatever kind of Supreme Court justice we want to put in place. But at the end of the day, legislation doesn't change hearts. Only the gospel does. And so the awareness that we're talking about here is saying because we have been made alive to God in Jesus, we see the world differently. We see the world through two kind of moves, one of repentance and the other of faith. That's right. Hey, you know, when I, in this section in, in, in Mason's book, uh, one of the things that I felt was so helpful here was under awareness, this idea of the awareness of how much the scriptures talk about justice. He talks somewhere in there around 51 or 52 about how justice in our kind of evangelical Christian world is seen as a liberal term. Like if you start talking about justice, it raises flags uh, with certain people. And it really shouldn't be so because the scriptures are so filled with this idea of God doing justice and God requiring justice uh, of his people. And so seeing justice, uh, even just the awareness of the theme of justice running throughout the scriptures and then tying in within the gospel is so important. Yeah. The the idea of repentance and faith is throughout the whole Bible. And what, one of the Old Testament passages that comes to mind is Hosea twelve six, And this is really yeah. interesting, very simple passage. Uh, but you must return to your God so this idea of returning is a is a view of repentance, right? To turn one's mind, to change from one direction back to God, to turn away from sin and self uh, and idolatry back to God. So, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and always put your hope in God. And so here we have past, we're away from God, we return. Uh, we bear fruit according to that repentance, maintaining love love for neighbor, love for God, and justice, right? How we treat others. Uh, are we doing it in a way that's equitable or in a way that's oppressive? And then always put your hope, future-facing, right, faith in God. And this idea uh, that the gospel creates awareness, or it should, right? If we are alive to him, we should care about our brother. Uh, we should care about our sister. Uh, we should care about the ways in which we love one another. And simply neglect is not... Um, what we would call love. In fact, the the metaphor of family is used. How would you feel? And I think a lot of us can understand this quite readily. How would we feel if a family member was treated, you know, who's got my brother's back? You know, many times, you know, siblings will fight like dogs in a family, but if somebody steps to, right, somebody in your family, then you're going to have their back, so to speak. And, and this awareness really should cause all of us to say, hey, when the plight of the family of God, wherever it, it may be, uh, is uh, oppressed, uh, we ought to care. Yeah, so that's, we're, yeah, yeah, that, that idea of uh, of having each other back and being having a, a family with one another, um, he's got this great part in there about how we can have empathy with people even when we disagree with them, that that's part of this idea of awareness and family love for one another because uh, because love comes first, that love comes before even agreement. We can uh, we can disagree with our brother and still say, listen, I'm committed to you as a brother. And I found that to be really helpful too. Yeah. 
So the, the awareness we want is to be able to see with gospel eyes, uh, family members hurting, uh, wanting people to come to faith in Jesus, have changed hearts, but then to work together in the world to make the the world a different place. And in American culture, this, the, his acknowledgement section, I think, is, is very, very clear. Um, and something that's not talked about quite as much. I think there's a minimization maybe in American educational system. I grew up in public school. Um, and you hear a lot about you know slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, racism. Um, but you don't involve Christianity in that openly in the schooling system. Now, I think right. this probably is because the, the neglect of Christianity in public education is pretty severe itself in not giving credit to it for anything. But also... Yeah, because some of it is, I didn't know Martin Luther King Jr. was a, was a minister right, in right, public school. Right, I just right. He was a civil rights activist He's as far as I was concerned. figure, right. right. But he, you don't know the tradition of the black church, right. which he, he emerged from, right, right in terms of his public uh, engagement as an activist. Um, so the acknowledgement thing here, I think, well, the facts of history are very clear, right, that there was a historic involvement and persistence in slavery, Jim Crow, racism by white Christians and white churches, like yeah. a large, you know, denominations that formed over the issue of sla- slavery. We can say yeah. it's the Southern, it's as SBC, yeah, Southern Baptist these, Church. These are my people, yeah. man. I mean, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, when you form because uh, you're basically pressing the issue within the Baptist assembly. That will you, Northerners, fund and send a slave-owning missionary overseas? And they say no. And you say, all right, well, we're going to start our own thing. That's right. Uh, that's a, that's that's a, a problem. That's a pretty that's uh, a, heavily involved yeah, in the institution. That's racism. Yeah. yeah of the, of the uh, oppression of other people. And then not, not only, you know, coming out of these things, so to speak, because we have moved right through civil wars. We've moved through... Uh, equality under the law. We're moving towards uh, more racial justice and equality. Um, there's still an apathy sometimes and an opposition to the acknowledgement of the complicity of Christians. Yeah. Why would right, you say this is? Past. Why would you say this is important? What would you say to to brothers and sisters who would say, "Well, that was a long time ago. I have not personally, um, you know, uh, been racist or oppressed someone. So why do we have to acknowledge that?" I think this. I. Uh, I'm going to speak as a, a follower of Jesus now, Jesse, not you, just as you, a neutral brain right, uh, or, yeah. or, or, or neutral I thinker. was expecting yeah. you would, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think at the very minimum, um, there is, there is a, a, a loving of our brothers and sisters to seek to understand their story and the effects of it. I think many times white people don't want to own the effects of our ancestors on others so we can say, oh, I didn't do that, right? Right. Uh, but, but the hundreds of years of that deeply, deeply marred the psyche of a people and a community tra- traumatically. And so just hearing someone else's story, consciously having to, to think about their blackness in a white-dominated culture, uh, and then, you know, the, the, the specific uh, uh, economic oppression, redlining, mortgage right. policies right. that were institutionalized in banks, um, holding people in a certain pattern, uh, v- violent opposition to black ascendancy in culture. My own people, the Irish, right, sh- sh- severely oppressed. You know, they, they could drop the O, whatever, the O off your front of your name and just be white, but severely oppressed in England, even in America, and then became severely racist right. because they were competing for the same jobs yep. in the lower classes with, with black people. Yep. And so um, saying, well, I've never been, I don't have hurtful thoughts of race in my own heart, or I've never done, created an oppressive system. Uh, we, we've lived in it. We've benefited from it. But, but not only that, if we say that, we're saying, I don't care about you your family, uh, and your experiences. And so the question is, how then could I say I love you? Yeah. And so I think it's extremely important to acknowledge the past, live with one another in the present so that we might shape right together a different future that's, um, that the people have to think about their their black boys differently. Yeah, worrying about incarceration and educational systems. I think building together, having empathy, acknowledging the the, the past is very important. Yeah, I don't think we have to say that everything's the way it was in in the the seventeenth century or the eighteenth century. 
at the same time, we, we, do, we do need to acknowledge that we can serve one another to build a better and brighter future for, for everyone. Right. Well, you know, one of the things I appreciated about this book, and uh, I was reading concurrently with this One Blood by Dr. John Perkins, is both are issuing a call for acknowledgement leading to lament, which is different than, um, than, than somehow repenting of a sin in which I did not commit. That's right. That's and right. I think that's something that people bristle about sometimes of like, well, what do you want me to do about it? And yeah. I think that what they're offering is, is, a, is a beautiful picture of what we actually can do about it yeah. that doesn't require me to do something that feels... Um, uh, taking personal taking responsibility, personal responsibility for, for personal acts that you did that I did not do right yeah. yeah and so so I really appreciated and it actually gave me a lot to think about because I have even podcasted here on lament and yet I have not and, and I have actually as a matter of fact I think it was the first sermon you heard at at our church I was personally lamenting some of my blindness like Lig Duncan does in the in the intro to this book right right uh, my blindness and sort of just uh yeah. Uh, sleepiness when it, when it comes to issues of race and justice or, or ethnicity and justice. And yet I have not thought at all about corporate lament or, um, you know, e- even Commun- communal. communal yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's something that I'm challenged to think about even leaving this podcast. Yeah. L- lamentation is, is the act of the soul where which we grieve and mourn uh, the past so that we can move forward to a different future. And that acknowledgement in Dr. Mace's outline leads to accountability for all of us. Like, what do we do then? Uh, and his, his, uh, his view is you speak to injustice, you call it out when you see it. And that means in your family, in your neighborhood, in your churches and, and white people can do this because we know there are still racial, racial biases expressed dismissal of people uh, that we're present to hear because white people talk to white people about racial issues in a different way than they do in the presence of mixed races. And so we speak to it. Um, so two parts, speak to it, work for change. And, and his working for change was intervening justice, preventative justice, and systemic justice. Intervening means help, help someone now. Uh, and if you want to list woke church page 54, he said, I, I see fought. This is in, in, and I know I've been to Dr. Mason's church. I know the neighborhood where he is. And so, Uh, He's speaking to something that's very direct, and he's like, here's what I see. Fatherlessness, violence on our front doorstep, educational challenges, gentrification, redlining, the poor having little access to healthy food, which impacts education and health mortality. And so accountability, what do we do? We speak to injustice, and we work to intervene and help. Uh, so somebody's hungry, you, you feed somebody. We, we In our church in New Jersey, we had a policy. Anyone asks for helps, we help them once. I mean, you can't, you can't help everybody perpetually forever, but you can help everyone who needs something right away and then involve one another in each other's lives and in the community so that we might intervene and then work preventatively, right? How do we address these issues through the church? How is the church helping people uh, live more justly and then create a better future systemically that's what accountability to a lament means it's it's not it's the maintain love and justice not just feel bad you just want me to feel bad about it that all white people held slave no we want to lament to work for the future together yeah that's good that's good and you know uh i was thinking about how 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 helpful it has been to me locally to um we got a uh, i got a friend in in up in roanoke who's planting a church up there charles wilson and uh shout out to charles took us on a took me on a tour of the city there and this is roanoke small small city and just to get a to, to get a, a a picture of the racial injustices that have been done in the last 100 years some of which uh have been done in the last few years is just it, it just is eye-opening, and it helps to to basically acknowledge, to see what's gone on and see how it's affected the community there. And really then to say, well, well, maybe it's not quite so simple as I saw it from my position before, as far as, you know, why are people where they are? Why are they in the situations they are? And then it also helps, you know, to, to actually come to grips with the history of that particular place does help you to be more accountable and think through what does justice right. look like. That's right. 
boots on the ground. Yeah, I've heard from many people, uh, Jesse, Caucasian people, uh, asking about like why why do people just live in ghettos? Why don't they leave when right. the educational opportunities to get out, the capitalization of someone's economic situation to, to get out, uh, is is something foreign to a Caucasian person who grew up with a certain reality. Um, there's a, there's a book. It's a bit lengthy, but it's really good called The Warmth of Other Suns, talking about mass migration of African Americans from the South to the urban uh, centers. Uh, very revealing. And then even looking through the cre- creation of well-meaning systems, right? The Great Society program by Lyndon Johnson, uh, wanting to give people affordable housing, but yet not realizing the Imago Dei humanity of it. And just, like, well, you can't just throw people in big warehouses, right? There needs to be a lifting up and empowerment that's holistic and not simply uh, that. So uh, it's not as simple as like, why don't people just get a job and leave? Um, that's really, if you want to talk about privilege, right? That's from a position where uh, you've had opportunities that others maybe were denied and still denied uh, by the way things things are. Uh, Eric's final uh, awareness, acknowledge, acknowledge, accountable, and then finally, Active. My wife literally just walked in with a. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> a really cool little lit thing that says "on air" on with air. a little heart, um, so mm. that we can tell people we're on the air. Thank you, mm. Casey. That's an awesome gift she just gave to the Gospel Underground. We are on air. We're Won't on you stay air. out of here with your on air? Uh, <laughs> now, be light. now be gone. Now be gone. Just kidding. Casey. What a what a great gift that is. But okay, so let me get back. Awareness. Acknowledge the past and the complicity of the Christian church. Be accountable. Speak to it. Work for change. Intervening. Preventive. Systemic. And then finally, be active. And man, you know, one of the things that um, is overwhelming about the world, Jesse, and you can speak to this as well, is like sometimes we feel because we can't fix everything, there's a paralyzing effect that we don't do anything. Yeah, And I think in the areas uh, of, of racial equality, racial justice, I think sometimes people say, well, hi, I can't fix the inner city. I can't fix the south side of Chicago. So what am I going to do? Right. And I do think that, though, we all can be involved in some way. I mean, I've been quite open uh, over the years with, with many people, black, white, Asian, whatever, as uh, that uh, kids without dads, I don't know if it's because I kind of grew up with a certain dad situation, that kids without dads, it, it's a massive uh uh, a massive handicap in life to live out, out without a father figure, particularly for young boys. And so I've said when I was young, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be a dad someday, but also not only that, I'm going to mentor other young men and God put in my life from, you know, time I was six, seven years old to be in really transracial community as a kid. And then growing up through middle school where I got invited into the black culture club, uh, did that from eighth to 12th grade. But even when I went into ministry, I said, you know what? Our ministry on campus with athletes was going to be led by black men. The reason why is because more women are in church overall and, and matriarchy. God bless the matriarchs of the black church for sure. Keeping everything together. Grandma, grandma makes sure everybody goes to church. Um, but I want to see black men lead. So that meant I was going to spend more time there. going to invest my life there. And then particularly be a brother, and as I got older, be an uncle and a a figure that could be something I didn't have as much as a a masculine voice. And so it's not that we can't do anything, but we can't get paralyzed so much that we do nothing in in being active. Yeah, man, and I I know that, um, and I think that I'm not alone. In fact, I know I'm not alone based on conversations I've had with other pastors uh, in in the networks that I uh, move around, live and work, and have my being in. and man, sometimes it does feel like that. Like I can't even figure out, I live in a small town and I can't figure out what to do to yeah. fix things. Yeah. And so, so, so yeah. a lot of times you yeah. just kind of shrug and, yeah. and just kind of go, well, I'm just going to preach the pure gospel and move on or whatever. And that's where I found just a lot of helpful sort of aiming and, and in some ways encouragement in Mason's book and in, uh, in Perkins book, One Blood. Essentially, so can I run through these? You have these listed out for us. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of lists out some things under active, um, you know, teach about the Imago Dei. So in all people, in all people, right? right? So it doesn't come from Darwinism. It doesn't come from some other worldview. It's a, a, a Hebrew Bible, Christian New Testament. Yeah. Everybody's made an image. Of That's that. right. Teach, teach that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listening and learning others' story is so good. It's so good, and and that's one of those things where, um, and you were mentioning this before that if we don't if we don't acknowledge the past, and if we and if we if we don't pretend to be colorblind, right, uh, then we can actually kind of have empathy. We can walk alongside of someone, and 
uh, and learn their story and listen. Uh, theological education, practical theology to serve the needs of the communities, uh, a theology that's being presented with with proper historical kind of settings is right uh, like the contributions of early africans to the 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 massive theological grounding yeah of the christian historic christian church right? that's right yeah. yeah addressing apathy and blind spots you know community partnerships these are sorts of things that are, are practical they're they're there's something that you can do even so in my context i'm small town mostly monocultural um you know, we're about 90% white in our small town and, uh, and yet we're not completely monocultural. And, and so this is, this gives me some kind of like, all right, yeah, well, yeah. there's a little bit of a track to run on here. I've had, I've had white pastors ask me in the past, how do I get, you know, more connected with, you know, Chinese culture, Korean culture, black culture, uh, Asian and Southern Asian Indian culture. And they, and sometimes it's just made complex in the mind. And the best advice we always can give one another on this is, Hey, make a friend. Yeah. Make a friend, submit yourself to learning with that friend, let them teach you, follow them, not just, Hey, I'm here to get something done. And, um, yeah. but yet how, how can I learn about people? And it's, in fact, if people want to plant churches that have more than one kind of ethnic or cultural community and they don't have kind of a rich long experience in that call. I say, Hey man, go join uh, up underneath someone else, yeah. be taught, learn. One of the things in this section that was really good was uh, on uh, family training, biblical womanhood, biblical yeah, manhood. Yeah. A lot of times there's, there's this thing that happens in racial conversations in America. Uh, you call it the what about ism, you know, somebody will say something about, you know, this and that happening that's a racial injustice. Like, well, what about black on black crime? Or what about Chicago and murders? Or, or what about the black family? And one of the things I always want to scream when I hear those things is like, do you know how much the black church and black Christians care about the family? And they know the, the effect of father, fatherlessness. They know the effect of welfare on the community. And so to see Mace, you know, it's not surprising to have see this biblical manhood, biblical yeah. womanhood, teach be dads, moms. Um, it's not surprising for me to see there, but it's so good, yeah. uh, his articulation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and one other thing in being active that I wanted to mention, too, is like uh, how, how helping ministries that are uh, focused on a certain context. And if we're talking about r racial history with African diaspora in America— uh, um, certainly there are, there are folks that are doing, uh, like, like church planting, like the thriving network or Jude three ministries that's doing uh, African American apologetics, mm -hmm. right. To, to support these things, right. Yeah. And, and to see those things flourish and not feel like they're reverse segregation or something like, Oh, they're just pulling away from everybody. No, uh, trying to address a particular communal context yeah. where there's needs. There's there. I I'm about to finish God willing. Uh, I may even graduate in May. It's shocking to say that out loud. An MDiv and applied apologetic. Wow, uh, isn't that shocking? Uh, yeah, we, the the two decade MDiv, yeah. the two decade MDiv is going to come to an end. It's going to be a day of sadness. Um, and I've done tons of training, uh, reading, interaction, active ministry, forums, writing in apologetics. Still do. I was doing some training that involves that this weekend. But the unique, right, uh, apologetic concerns of, say, urban African-American communities is very different That's right. than, say, what's taught in, say, white evangelical seminaries. And so Jude 3 Ministries, man, they're doing stuff. Or that, what you might encounter on a college campus, a predominantly right. white college campus. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Historical black universities or even, uh, you know, a lot of times the desire for black identity turns on on Christianity because yeah. of the, the racist Christians. And Mason talks about that as part of his story in the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that he was encountering even, yeah. that in DC and yeah. Bowie state. He wanted to see, yeah, I need to understand, you know, being black and having a positive identity around yeah. that other than like a scary. Cause, cause there is this weird thing. And I, I've been reading books this year related to the American revolution. So I read a, uh, a, a George Washington biography, Alexander Hamilton. I'm on a Franklin one now. Uh, but the, the reality of the founding father's view of slavery uh, was at once, you know, morally, ethically, philosophically, they knew it was wrong, right? Even those who held slaves, yeah. uh, which all of them, all, most of the Virginians at least did, people like Jefferson, Madison, Washington. Washington freed all his in his will when he died. Uh, the others did not. Um, but even Jefferson knew, right, that, that it was wrong, and they were afraid. They were very afraid uh, of, you know, the, the slaves killing everybody rising up against yeah. their their oppressed uh, oppressors 
And so this fear, right, I think has traveled with white America in mm. this kind of haunted conscience, knowing, right, that this is wrong, but yet fearful and wanting to protect, you know, financial interests and, and uh, their own interests of their progeny and kids and things like that. And so um, very unique uh, uh, needs it, you know, to say, hey, being black me- meant to be feared at times. And so to say, no, to young black boys, hey, it's a beautiful thing to be a black man. To be a black man in America doesn't mean that you're just scary. Um, And sadly, that's the case, and then then that perpetuates. Yeah. Well, that's uh, there's a gospel woke that we stand behind. There's yeah, a secular yeah. woke that maybe we don't. And I think that's one of the things that I would say to anyone who is um, maybe has a uh, frustrated with with the use. I, I just love the way he frames woke the use here, of the, the term. use of this. Yeah. And so, rather than criticize a brother for using this word and just assume what he means is the same thing that other people may mean. Uh, I think we need to give we need to read his words and figure out what exactly does he mean by this by this term when he's saying woke church, uh, what what's he saying and yeah. and yeah so and I think I just think that's so important for us yeah and and I would say as we move out of our woke section to to woke to woke <laughs> uh, Jesse and I would both highly recommend this book to 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 anyone. Well, too woke. This yeah, is, what's, what's this it mean is, to be too woke, Reed? <laughs> well, first of all, I would never tell someone uh, that they're too woke if they're uh, of a certain uh, hue in America. But there's uh, here I want to speak, Jesse, yeah, you're, to yeah. a certain kind of white person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's almost like there can become amongst white people if there's a little consciousness about race and a raising of kind of their own view of racial injustice that there can be a turning that I've seen where they're so woke now that all the other white people are hopeless causes of evil racists uh, that yeah. then all they need to do is be tweeted against, shouted against, mm. and almost like thrown into a trash heap. Mm-hmm. And my concern about this kind of two wokeness is that there can be pride. Well, at least I'm not that kind of white person, right? I didn't vote for so-and-so, or I didn't do that. Um, and there can be this uh, just seeking of condemnation of the other white people. Yeah. Now, should there be a condemnation of racism? Yes. Should there be a, a brought into judgment of you know white racists? Yes. Uh, but we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus, and we want to see the redemption of racists. We want to see lament and repentance, right, of racism. Uh, And then we want to see a building of a better future together. And that does mean, right, the redemption of the folks that you think ain't woke enough, right, or at least not as woke as you. The goal we share must be to build a better society. And that includes, right, either moving forward with uh, certain people that aren't yet where you are. And I think there's a lot of white people, if you've been around racial conversations and you are woke in a biblical way, that there needs to be a long suffering from white people with other white people to help bring them forward. Encourage, right, to stand up at your own dinner table at Thanksgiving and uh, not go with the racist jokes or something. Yeah, to have courage, but yet to have compassion, long suffering, so that you have hope for, right, that people... Maybe they'll end up like you someday right? in uh, waking up from their racist slumber. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of stuff that ends up on social media mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it does. This is why, this is why so, stay, stay out of the comments. Social media is drunk <laughs> with this kind of stuff. And so. Yeah. I mean, but this, this is real life too. Like, uh, you know, Trump really was, yeah. a, was, a, was a line in the sand with this in a lot of uh, white evangelical churches. And uh, that's right. And yeah, man, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to, one of the things with this is, is, is there's a straight line for someone who's in the two woke category, a straight line from you voted Trump, therefore you are a, a satanic being or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like and, uh, and, and just yeah. like on the, on the opposite side, straight lines are drawn that are sometimes unfair. I think, I think same here Yeah, uh, yeah. because there are a lot of reasons people vote in certain directions and they're not always straight line reasons. That's right. That's and, right. um, and so I think, yeah, politics plays a big part here. A lot of progressive yeah. young evangelicals, yeah. um, you know, draw a line in the sand. And, and the problem with that is where, where is that line? That's Usually right. it's wherever they are. That's right. That's right. Whoever's to the, to the left or right of me are, are down the stream yep. towards the evil yep. people. 
Yeah. You, you know, you're right to bring up politics here, Jesse, and certainly. And I election. said Trump. You yeah. didn't say Trump. And, you said and, vote for someone. Yeah. But I'm yeah, saying yeah. it. So, so, so <laughs> the, the, this is not unknown territory that lots of white evangelicals voted for Trump. Some would say they voted for not Hillary Clinton. Others actually voted for support and still support today, yeah. even yeah. after they the, might wear the hats. Yeah. Just like hold a rally in your church for them. Right. And so this has been extremely inflammatory. Uh, throughout uh, Christian peoples in America, whether evangelical or non-evangelical, uh, but with a large percentage of people voting for that person, yeah. <laughs> for Donald Trump, th- there was a betrayal. I mean, quite honestly, people ask me if I voted for him. I say I did not, um, and I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. And the reason why, maybe people might think this is shallow or that I threw away my vote, but I, for me, I could never, ever, ever look at some of my black brothers in the face and say, I voted for yeah. him. And so because yeah. I love them, I could never have voted for, for him in light of some of the things he was uh, uh, saying. So, so, but yeah, yeah the, and, this, I'm, I'm saying, same with me. I yeah. voted, I voted for some, uh, the, the, some the lawyer that wasn't going to win. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was the same thing. Yeah. 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 And here's the thing. Both, both our listeners, uh, black, black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever it might be. We have to look at these people who voted for Donald Trump and not just say, oh, they're 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 the spawn of the devil and irredeemable yeah, and yeah. that they're not they're not woke yet. So there's no hope. And in fact, perhaps this political cauldron of swirling chaos, perhaps the Big Macs on the silver platters. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that I'm sorry. That's great. This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, oh like, what a what an allegory oh. that is. What a metaphor. Yeah. So go eat a Big Mac with the big the big the Big Mac <laughs> in the wine. We got to keep going. Let's and, uh, keep moving. <laughs> but yeah, the, but but these people are human beings. Many of them yeah. do sincerely love the Lord. And they need to be not just tweeted against and blown up by the two woke white crowd. They need to be lovingly encouraged by white people who care about racial justice. Um, And so we have a goal we share. Justin Martyr said we used to hate and destroy one another. Justin Martyr was writing in the first, uh, the second century of Christianity um, and was an apologist, actually. And he was trying to explain to the Roman world around him who these Christians were who were being accused of being cannibals because they ate the body and blood of Jesus, obviously bread and wine. Uh, But they were being accused of all sorts of atheism because they didn't support the Greco-Roman gods. Uh, They were accused of... um Incest because they married the brothers and sisters. That's right. Well, well like the, they know, called, they called their brothers, wives, sisters, yes, some sister God, and God. so on. Yeah. That's right. They but did he, not actually marry brothers That's right. <laughs> so he wrote this, We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country, but now because of Christ we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies, right? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Mason says this is what the gospel does. It causes those who used to be enemies to now become Amen. friends, right? Amen. Um, finally, this is uh, Dr. Mason was directing this to bitterness, um, probably in African American people, yeah. uh, but it can be applied to our two woke sister and, and brethren as well. Um, and how we view, hold our own hearts towards the other, particularly those who have hurt us, oppressed us, or uh, are just trying to blow us up. He says, bitterness is fermented, unrighteous anger and unforgiveness. When we allow bitterness to fester in our hearts, it ends up destroying every area of our lives. These conversations need love and compassion, repentance, faith and hope, not bitterness and not the cutting off of one another's limbs that are are a part of the body of Christ. Yeah, and if I could say one more thing about this, it, it requires us to 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 give other people the same grace that we expect. You know, we we generally grow and change and become aware of things um, slowly. And so, what I w- I want people to give me the benefit of the doubt and grace to grow slowly and to not have to um, uh, be right where they want me to be, right when they want me That's to be right. there. And yet, and so I need to extend that same. Uh, charity to other people as well. And so, so, you know, that's right. This is the kind of thing that often takes a lot of time to deconstruct the way the worldview that I've seen things through for my whole life. And, and and Jesse, politically, um, we have a two party system in America and it's very difficult, right. To navigate that. So you cannot even just think, think of, uh, if we can't say 
that as believers in Jesus, that we cannot work with Democrats and Republicans together to create a new gospel-oriented future in in and through the church. If we can't do that, right? If everybody has to be leftist, right? Everybody has to be a right, right. Then we we can't love one another through these things. Because yeah. look here, here's today we see Democrats, right? Massively secular. Um, and statistics bear that's the, this more secular party, more atheistic party even, uh, supports abortion and even infanticide, right? Killing babies after 24 weeks even. Uh, sexual perversion being normal, normalized, right? Uh, gender insanity. Uh, this is the party of the Democrats. And then today the Republicans are led by just a distasteful, rude, immoral, misogynistic, it seems, disrespectful man. He's demeaned women. He's apparently maybe paid off a of porn star he will not condemn openly white nationalism yeah um so so this is what we're dealing with right yeah. and if we cannot see that our black white asian latino brothers and sisters might land somewhere because they they do right uh then we can't work forward together and so uh, we we you and i know we've talked about this we talk to people who simply cannot understand how a christian could vote republican and support donald trump We've talked to people who cannot understand how a Christian could ever vote for the Democratic Party. Yep. Yep. We have to realize that voting, particularly in a two-party system, in a fallen world outside of Eden, always involves choosing the lesser of two evils, right? Because people uh, are, are not uh, s- saints. Uh, and it always is an attempt to put your vote to someone that you think will do greater good. Yeah. yeah. And we have, to, we have to be tolerant in the best way of the word tolerant that those— in the church are going to vote differently, have their reasons. But in terms of biblical justice, biblical oppression, we need to work together. Now, finally, we get to our broke, broke, broke section. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm using the term broke here to say people that see no need to address systemic injustice, uh, no need maybe for the enactment of just laws, right? Um, this kind of uh, reality where folks want to fight against uh, any idea that justice has a place in the gospel. Jesse, how, how do we react to broke folk? In yeah, this, in man, this sense? You, you mentioned earlier on, I like the way you put it, that there's a bankruptcy here. There's a, a deficiency of, un, I think deficiency is a good way of thinking of this, that, that when you, uh, when you see no need to address these sorts of things, or if you don't see the just, that justice is, is a biblical motif, if you don't see that justice and an is an ongoing concern, an ongoing right. concern for the people of, of Christ uh, that, are, that live under his kingship, if you don't see the justice of God and the righteousness of God as having implications for life here and now and how we interact for the common good with our neighbors, um, then, I, then I would see that as a deficiency. Yeah, I, I, really, I really think that I don't want to react in a two-woke way, like all oh, these stupid people. Right. But I right. also I also think that we can spend too much emotions, too much energy, too much time with people who do not want to uh, repent and have faith and move forward around these issues. And so um, I, I hope and pray that this kind of view, even racist Christian views, I hope they're dying out, literally, yeah. they will die with people that hold these views. And I think there's too much positive work, too much active work that needs to be done, both in gospel proclamation, uh, discipleship of people, uh, working for justice, uh, to spend too much time on folks that only want to uh, oppose. Yeah, yeah. This is where I, I don't want to argue with them. I just want them to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, though, like when you, and this is, yeah, when, when, when you are, um, so if you've got a view of the gospel that does not include justice, then I want to have a conversation with you, and I think that's worth having. That's right. Uh, but because if, we love our brothers and sisters. That's right. Yeah, that's, yeah right. that's right. And we want to be patient with that. And I'm I'm convinced the gospel is not just a vertical thing, but that the gospel has horizontal implications. Uh, implications, maybe even more than implications. I think if you read Ephesians 2, you've got this great picture from from Ephesians 2, 1 to say 17, that is is addressing this reconciliation vertically between God and man who is distant and separated and cut Instead off. Instead of an implication, which means a logical outflowing or something. Right. That, that may, the, 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 the thing I don't like sometimes about the way the word implication has been used is like, a, it's okay, that's... Secondary, that's optional a, thing. That, yes, yeah, the, yeah. the optional part of it, right? right? That it's an implication. The gospel entails this, but I don't have to do it if I don't want to. Whereas this should be maybe, say, an emanation from a, a redeemed life 
is that the kingdom manifestations are part of it uh, in the way we love one another around us and still have to repent, right, of falling short and sinning and things. And so right. this is where this is where um, I'm just going to I'm going to bring up the statement on social justice. Uh, you know, this was a big buzz kind of thing in the evangelical world. And for those listening, this is a statement put together by several pastors and theologians, John MacArthur, John MacArthur, Vody Bauckham, Tom Askell. Yep, yep. Yeah, there, yeah. You can go to uh, statementonsocialjustice.com. Uh, and and there are things that I take issue with there. The, the two main reasons I would not sign this is, one, I think for the gospel— the things like living justly in the world are treated as implications that I think, I think ends up that are optional. They they end up becoming, uh, yeah, they, they, it feels more optional. Uh, the second reason I wouldn't sign it is because I think the call to sign it itself is it's a, it's, I think a divisive line in the sand that I just don't want to be a part of. Now that being said, the scriptures don't call for, that's right. right. And and that there's no, there's no, there's no ecumenical church council. There's no, uh, I'm I'm just some guys making a statement, which, they have a right to do, and in fact, I think is worth engaging with. And there's a lot of thought behind this statement, and uh, and so this is. But this is the kind of thing where I would just want to have a conversation and and uh, um, and a loving debate about, not something that I want to say, "Go away, people." That's right. That's um, right. And so, and I think that's how we want it. Now, there are some that are so in bed with with maybe a uh, a party system that is so broken that it's just some of these churches right. and pastors just need to repent. The first word Dr. Mason would say in something like this, this is on page 59 of Wolf Church. He says, if I'm honest, there are times where I don't want to be patient with some of my siblings who struggle to get it. When we talk about these issues of racism and justice, it's hard for me to hear the constant refrain of just preach the gospel. Then he says this, very important. I hope if you are in this camp, just preach the gospel. Don't talk about all this justice stuff. I hope you hear the rest of this sentence. When the topic is abortion, Nobody says, just preach the gospel. When we preach against abortion as if it's a gospel issue. When the topic is sex trafficking, no one says, just preach the gospel. We develop a battalion to go and get people out of sex trafficking. And we should, because these are crucial issues, but so is racial justice. Yep. Amen. Well, as we close today, Jesse, um, woke, too woke, or broke, this question uh, that Dr. Mason asks, I think is good. What if God sovereignly allowed the church to be racially separate for a time because he intends to impact the world by bringing us all together as one family? What if the things that are happening right now in our country, right, Big Macs, are God's way of telling us it's time to wake up and act like a family? And he closes, we'll close with this quote, we do not substitute proclaiming the gospel for action. We're not looking just for social justice activism and not proclaiming that Christ died for sinners, right? And we don't proclaim and neglect action. We proclaim and engage in activism that flows from the gospel or good news. Amen. The Gospel on Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Get your hats at BonhoefferHouse.com. <laughs> yeah, send your comments or hat requests. Hat requests, feedback <laughs> that you might want us to take up here on the Gospel Underground. And if you have issue with anything we said today, drop us a note, info at GospelUnderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place on the borderlands between the church and culture. Keep your jeans buttoned up, friends. We'll see you later. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>